It was so fun. Joel was talking about diving in, and that is actually (laughs) the title of my talk, Preparing to Dive into the Book of Acts. And um, I I may disappoint you. I'm not actually going to do an overview of the Book of Acts. Uh, But I'm going to, in, in the weekly email, which I hope you all get, I'm going to give you lots of links uh, to videos on the, the Bible project. There, some of them are animations, some of them it's a guy talking and they're drawing, drawing things, you know, it's coming to life about the book of Acts. And I think they did a really great job and I really wouldn't want to compete with that. So I'm going to do something else. <laughs> uh, what I want to do is actually t- talk about preparing. And I thought that one of the really, a really good way to prepare for the book of Acts is actually to go back and look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, primarily in, in the Gospel of John. So that's what, I, that's what I felt was good. I felt from the Holy Spirit that that would be good preparation for, uh, for diving into the book of Acts. I'm not sure you can tell what that is, but that's actually a bunch of divers that have just jumped into the water, and so there's the the trail of of you know bubbles following them, and they're they're um, they're fixing to scuba dive. Can you kind of see that now? And there's some really interesting underwater rocks over on the left side. And that's what we want to do. We want to we want to prepare to dive in. And one of the, one of the, I've never scuba dived. I've done some. Snorkeling, but one thing you always want to do, I imagine, when you're when you're going down deep, is you want to bring some air with you. <laughs> don't don't leave the surface without it. And we 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 want in this case, we want the Holy Spirit to be with us. And in the in the Hebrew, Holy Spirit's name is Ruach HaKodesh. And and also and also in the New Testament, the Greek is pneuma, which is air or breath. Also, yeah. So it's kind of fitting. Back in January, when the elders got together for a weekend to uh, to pray and listen to God and seek direction, we really one of the things we we sensed was the Lord wanted us to go through at least a good chunk of the Book of Acts. So. We feel led to do that. We felt really a lot of wind on that. Another another word for the Holy Spirit. We felt a lot of wind. And have you ever wondered uh, what the book of you know the title for the book of Acts? Now, in some Bibles, it says the Acts of the the Apostles. The Acts the Acts of whom though? Some of them say the Acts of the Apostles. Um, but you, what, what other titles could we give? One of the one I came up with is the continuing acts of Jesus or the acts of the Holy Spirit on Jesus' behalf through the ecclesia. That's kind of a mouthful, though. So we'll just call it the book of Acts. <laughs> but it's kind of good to kind of think about. You might have your own title. What, what's, what, what's, what's what you would call this book? What kind of summarizes what this book is about to you?
And this is from, this is not in John yet. I'll use this here. Yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. This is the Apostle Paul writing. For our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. That's who we are. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that uh, when you when you try and read the word and uh, you you just try and handle it, you know, from kind of a mental construct, and then you can get into arguments with other people about what it means, and <laughs> or you can feel condemned. Or you can condemn other people because they're not living up to what you read in the Bible. None of that's really very helpful, is it? No, we really need, we really need the Holy Spirit to, to inspire us, to enliven us, to, to draw us in, to, uh, to really dive into the Scripture with the Holy Spirit. And I kind of warned Susan about this, but I didn't remind her, <laughs> about um, praying for us, about... Um, having immersive experiences with Holy Spirit in reading the Word. Would you kind of come on back up again, Susan? Yeah, I kind of forgot he'd asked me to do this. <laughs> How many of you have ever been in a season of time where you've just, um, like, like, something in the Bible just started to, to just really... Um, just sort of open up to you. Like maybe a few months ago when we were looking at Madame Guyon and, and, and Brent started saying the Lord's Prayer and like, oh, I remember there was just this one phrase that hit me so hard and it was like, I just had to stop there. You know, it was, um, your will be done and your will be done. Because Madame Guyon had just said, his will is to love. And everything about his will is to love. And it was just like, there was like a whole paragraph there, a whole page there, a whole chapter there. And, and um, so I think what Russ was, was getting to was that the scriptures wouldn't be about information. They would be like heart transformation. The truth of them are, are more for our hearts than for our heads. And I think so much has been done in the name of God when we've, unfortunately, historically, Christians have taken the words from just being reasonable and turned them into a list of rules. And we've hurt a lot of people when we do that. So, so I will say I've had a number of visitations with God out of letting the scripture become three, like three-dimensional, you know what I mean? Like some of the stories, like Song of Solomon, for instance. How about, you, st- uh, you know, you like, like see it as you read it, right? Because it's not information. It's so much more dimensional, I think, than we know. The, it's a living, living sword it talks about in, um, 
Where's that Hebrews? It's Hebrews 5. It's a living sword. It, it cuts between the, the bone and the marrow. It touches us in deep places. So I, let me just, let's just pray. And we'll just ask God to start doing that for us all more and more and more. I need that reminder. Sometimes it gets dry for me. Just reading the Bible like a textbook is dry. But when you bring the Spirit, and the Spirit starts making it life for us. So Jesus, I just want to pray for all of us. We want the word to become living and life-giving for us. Jesus, we don't want to just read the Bible out of guilt or just because we're supposed to or we know we should. It is good for us and we know this, but Lord, we ask that our soul and our spirit would together yearn and, and with your inspiration draw us in to the Bible and make it so living and breathing that we literally step into the pages and experience the truth. Whoa. Would you transform our lives by living, breathing experience of your word, the spirit and truth coming together, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that it's, it's, all, it's all good and it's all inspired by you for our benefit. Who? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And thank you, Susan. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So Susan tried to describe this to me once. This is a long time ago, but some of you might remember Star Trek The Next Generation, or maybe you've seen the reruns somewhere. And, And they had this place called the holodeck, and you could go in and have experiences in the holodeck. So she tried to help me understand it that way. Like that's what, what it's sometimes like for her with, with the help of the Holy Spirit. So that might, that might be a fun analog for some of you. Hopefully all of us. Yeah. To dive into Acts experientially, we need the life-giving breath of Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we just end up analyzing things from a safe distance. And we just, we just received an impartation prayer through Susan for that. Let's see. As I was preparing for this, I was really moved by how much Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in like chapters 14, 15, 16 in the, in the Gospel of John. Uh, how And this is when Jesus was talking with disciples before he was going to head off uh, to, be, to be on trial and then uh, abused and crucified. But he, he re- this is really important to him. He really wanted to share with them about this. This particular, most of these scriptures are from the Passion Translation, but I also have some from the Message and some from the New, New King James. This is what Jesus said. Loving me empowers you to obey my commands. I like that. Isn't that encouraging? Love, so, so focus on loving, and that's going to that's actually empower you to obey Jesus, help you to obey Jesus' commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Savior. Now, the, the Greek word 
another is actually means another of the same kind as me, basically. I'm going to give you another of the same kind as me, Jesus is telling them. And then the word Savior, that's just one of many different um, words that can be used for the Greek word parakletos. You've probably all heard of that at some point, but this is a wonderful footnote in the Passion Translation. The Greek word here is parakletos, a technical word that can be translated defense attorney. It means one called to stand next to you as a helper. Various translations have rendered this counselor, comforter, advocate, encourager, intercessor, or helper. However, none of these words alone are adequate and fall short in explaining the full meaning. The translator, this, this one, Brian Simmons of the uh, Passion Translation, has, has chosen um, the word Savior in this case, for it depicts the role of the Holy Spirit to protect, defend, and save us from ourself and our enemies and keep us whole and healed. Isn't that cool? You want me to read that again? Yeah. It depicts the role of the Holy Spirit to protect, defend, and save us from ourself. How many of us need that? <laughs> and our enemies, save us from our enemies and keep us whole and healed. Well, that's just a good word right there. Let's see. The Holy Spirit of Truth. This is the another Savior. The Holy Spirit of Truth will be to you a friend just like me, like just like Jesus. And he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him. But you will know him intimately because he will make his home in you and live inside you. So, yeah, so I just want to, just, just, for, just let that sink in, that he's, he, may, he will make his home in us and live inside each of us. And then the next thing Jesus says is, I promise that I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans. I will come back. What's Jesus thinking about? He's thinking about the fact he's about to be be on, put on trial and killed, and that's got to be. He knows how scary that's going to be to these friends of his that he's been doing life with for about three and a half years. So he's he's trying to tell them, "I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm not going to leave you orphans." It really, do you feel Jesus's love? How much he cared, how much he cares for each one of us. When the Father, this is Jesus continuing, when the Father sends the spirit of holiness, the one like me, who sets you free, he will teach you all things in my name. He will inspire you to remember every word I told you. I was thinking when when uh, when John was writing this book, it was probably many years after the time when he sat with Jesus after after the Last Supper. 
that the Holy Spirit gave them all this, brought it to mind. And it's true for us too. He will, he will inspire us to remember every word that, that Jesus has told us, both in the written word and also the rhema word. I will live, leave the gift of peace with you, Jesus says, my peace, not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Remember what I told you, that I must go away, but I promise to come back. Yeah. Thank you. And by the way, when Jesus said, be courageous, he is, he is echoing what Moses said to the children of Israel when, before he, he was taken. It's also the words that Joshua heard from, from God as he entered into his destiny of taking the promised land for, for the children of Israel. Wow, so receive that. Be courageous. Be courageous. Be strong and of good courage. <clears throat> and then in chapter 15 of John, Jesus speaks again about the Holy Spirit. And I will send you the divine encourager, the Paracletos, from the very presence of my Father. He will come to you, the Spirit of truth emanating from the Father, and he will speak to you about me. And you will tell everyone the truth about me, for you have walked with me from the start. It just feels good to kind of marinate in those words, doesn't it? The word uh, rendered truth, which I think is pronounced uh, aletheia, really means reality. So you will speak, you will tell everyone the reality about Jesus. Isn't, yeah. The reality that we can we can work with, that we can lean on, that we can rely on, that shapes actually the rest of reality. Oh, by the way, let me go back for just a second. Go back. Uh, Did we go further? No, I went the wrong way. Thank you. Well, we're going further forward. Can we go back? Help, Mr. Wizard. Matt, in this case. Okay, there we go. Yes, when it says, he will speak to you, the word speak in the Greek also could mean provide evidence. I really like that. So much of the time when Jesus taught, he actually did something like fed the 5,000 or healed someone or raised someone from the dead. And then he explained about it, right? Did you ever, did you ever notice that? 
he would do stuff, and then he'd, then he'd talk about it. And that was his version of teaching. <laughs> Evidence first. I like that. Okay. Thank you, Matt. So I'm going to move forward now. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 16, I have told you this so that you would not surrender to confusion or doubt. For you will be excommunicated from the synagogues, and a time is coming when you will be put to death by misguided ones who will presume to be doing God a great service by putting you to death. And they will do these things because they don't know anything about the Father or me. So the good news is, when I go away, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. Welcome. The good news is, Jesus has been talking about the Holy Spirit coming and talking about what that means. And maybe the not so good news is, don't be confused or in doubt because there's painful rejection and persecution. So Jesus, Jesus is warning them about that too, so that when it happens, they don't, they don't, they don't uh, fall apart. That's really loving, isn't it? Even though it's hard to hear. And I thought it was really moving the way this translator translated uh, that last sentence. And they will do these things because they don't know anything about the Father or me. In many of the translations, Jesus would just say they don't know the Father. But this conveys the sense that they don't understand the Father's heart or my heart. They don't understand what we care about, what we value. They don't understand our ways. So they think the letter of the law is their, is their way of um, being accepted by the Father instead of the way of love and the way of being led by the Holy Spirit. At least that's what struck me. They'll be acting according to what they think God wants them to do, but it's out of the the letter that kills instead of the, the spirit and love that bring life. So you can f- hear the compassion in Jesus as well about that. Let's see. Jesus goes on to say, if I don't leave... The friend, the Parakletos, won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Can you just get the sense that Jesus is exciting about excited about this happening? Like this is this is so great. I'm going to go away, but you're going to get the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to come back. By the way, too. When he comes, he'll expose the error. This is from the Message translation because I thought it was really. Uh, helpful. He'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. Not all the other things. That's the basic sin is not, not believing in God's goodness in what I say is actually going to bring life. 
And that righteousness comes from above where I am with the Father, out of their sight and control. And that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. I'm going to go back to that, but um, I'm going to read right now a version that I grew up with, the New King James. This is, this is what New King James said in the same section of Scripture. But when he, the Paracletos, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Does that sound more familiar? Yeah. <clears throat> because they do not believe in me. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That's what we're all kind of used to. At least many of us. I am. But I really wanted to understand, what does that mean? So the message translation kind of gave me more understanding. I would say that um, the, the ruler of this godless world, which is the ruler, that Greek word is archon. I'm not sure he's been fully convicted yet. He still seems to be running around doing stuff. I would say rather, uh, maybe more helpful to say he's been at least partially disarmed. That, that's, that feels a little bit more accurate to me because uh, he's, he's definitely not uh, out of the way yet, is he? But he is, but, but Jesus in dying on our behalf did disarm him. Here's, here's a quote from Colossians 2.15. Talking about Jesus um, being crucified and then being resurrected from the dead. Having disarmed principalities, the arche, and powers, the exousia, exousia, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So Jesus did something really great. Did something really great. And, and also earlier, you'll, you'll remember in Matthew 16, Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against his, his, his kingdom and his, his ecclesia. So something big did happen. Yeah. And I'd argue that it was, and we'll read some more scriptures about it, I'd argue that what, what, what happened was that the, the hold that, that Satan and these other these other uh, ruling principalities and powers no longer can, can arc, no longer have the power of complete um, despair, saying to us, "Well, you messed up. You might as well just continue messing up because there's no hope for you." Which is which is kind of what the message is we get when we're in the world, isn't it? We know we've messed up. We've no, we know we're we're not living a, a very full life, but. But Satan would say, well, it's too late. You messed up. You might as well just follow your, your fleshly desires and, and do what you feel like doing because it's too late for you. And that's, what, that's part of what Jesus took away. And we'll, we'll read more about that in just a moment. There's a passage from the New King James I just read. So Jesus actually worked judgment upon the one 
who worked disobedience and death into us. That was the judgment. Ephesians 2, 1-3 in the New King James Version. But you, say me, 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 he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course or the ion of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, which spirit would that be? We usually call him Satan. The power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, you and me, conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But we've been made alive. And I, I, would, I would say, I just want to remind you, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's not just talking about, like, sexual temptation, right? It's a lot bigger than that. It's, it's hatred, murders, sexual exploitation, enslavement, pride, cruelty, jealousy, slander, massacres, destruction of resources. It, there's a lot of stuff going on that we get involved in when we are, we are under this disconnection from God and we're just trying to protect ourselves and, and make ourselves feel good. How many of you have heard Jessica Tate? She sometimes spoke at uh, Psalm 84. Jessica is this young woman who's gone to a lot of conflict zones. She's been in uh, the Congo in the conflict zones there. She's been in the Middle East. And she told me a story about a family she met in Syria. And when, he, when she first met this family, they were prosperous, upper middle class, and um, doing well. But as the war in Syria continued, um, they lost their house. The, the father lost his import-export business, and they just kept declining. And when the last time she, she just happened to, to see them on the side of the road in, in Iraq with nothing left. And I would argue that's, what's, that's what Satan is doing. Syria was a primarily a, a middle-class country with a fair amount of prosperity and stability, and it's been completely trashed by, I would argue, human issues, but then amplified by the one who works disobedience and death into us. But we, we have been rescued from a dark, dead life, haven't we? Yay! In Colossians 1, in the message, your hearts can soar, so let your hearts soar. Rise up, your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. What does it mean to be living in the light? It means living transparently, no longer having to hide no longer having to do a cover-up, no longer feeling like we're unacceptable and just have to live in, in secret shame because Jesus, Jesus took all of that on himself on the cross. So now we can live in the light as, 
we can live with our current imperfections knowing that he who has done a good work in us will complete it into the day of Jesus, into the day he comes back. Yes. I like, I like that encouragement. Thank you, Garrett. <clears throat> he has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule or authority of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. So we, we, got, an, we got an upgrade. We got transferred. Whoo! That he paid for on our behalf. For in the Son, all our sins are canceled, and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So besides the theme of the book of Acts, which is really tied into it, we are going to continue to explore what it means to be the, uh, the ecclesia, the called out ones the, uh, of Jesus. And uh, I came across this story by a woman named Jennifer Toledo. There, she, there it is. And this is, this is fairly short. I think it's a little less than six minutes. And this is a clip from a conference called the Imagine Conference that was organized by, by Sean Boltz and Graham Cook. And she's sharing a story that I would call a story of, of justice and a story of the ecclesia pursuing God's justice. So we'll go ahead and I'll click on that and we'll see what happens. You ready? You ready, Kat? Thank you. For me, I'm one of those people that my whole life I've been really passionate about justice, God's heart um, for people and humanity and fixing broken systems in the world and had to go through a real process of like, how does this work biblically and really took a lot of time studying what the Bible has to say about justice. And, And from that place, I just felt like I have been on this journey of just getting so ignited with God's heart for transformation. And I'm a huge believer that justice isn't something that's optional for Christians. It's not just for the few, like, hippie, liberal, whatever you want to call them. Justice is central to the gospel. And so, to me, it's, it's a part of everything we do. And it's, if you really understand biblical justice, biblical mishpat, you begin to understand that, oh my gosh, like, I believe justice is the restoration of every violation of love. That is what justice is. It's the restoration of every violation of love. Anywhere where God's original dream for a community or for people has been violated, um, justice comes in and sets it right. And so I, this, this past two days have been phenomenal because I think what we've been talking about is this kingdom revelation, right, of understanding who we are, understanding what it means to be a new creation. Here's reality. When you grab a hold of that, all of a sudden, everything becomes possible. Like, everything really becomes possible. Like, we begin to run into craziness. We begin to run into those places and see transformation. And I feel like that's a huge piece of kind of just who I am. Like, I actually just believe in that all things are possible. And so, 
um, you know, through our organization and, and just what we've been doing, um, have a huge passion for all different kinds of issues. But I want to just tell you a quick story. Is that okay? Tell you a quick story because I, I, I think it gives you a picture. And I think this story is, is helpful because I think a, a lot of times we feel like, what can we do? I'm just one person or whatever. And this story will give you some context. But um, we've been working in Ecuador for a long time and particularly with this issue of human trafficking and victims of sexual um, exploitation going out on the streets, just very raw, simple, loving on people, you know, ministering, and um, I began to say, okay, we've got to really heal this issue. We're tired of picking up bodies. Like, we want to heal this issue. So we'd realized that in this country, there wasn't, um, there was no legislation that protected victims of trafficking. And so we're like, we have to go to the root of this. And, um, and so we just began to pray and ask God for strategy, and he gives it, because he's good. And we began to say, okay, God, would you help us to get into the, to really influence the government in this issue? Once again, it's easy to say, I'm one person, what can I do? But when you understand what's been, all these amazing speakers have been talking about the last two days, you begin to go, I have everything I need because Christ is in me, right? I have access to everything in the kingdom. And so um, what, what happened in a, in a nutshell is basically we assigned this 22-year-old girl on our team, 22 and we told her, it is your full-time job to figure out how we get into the government for a year. That's your job. And she just began to pray and seek God, is on this website where she randomly opens it up and sees the personal contact information for the three top policymakers in the country. She quickly writes it down, refreshes, and it's gone. We're like, that was Jesus. She's like, what do I do? I'm like, you email them. That's what you do, you know? He gave you an email address. So she emails them. One of them responds and is like, this is so interesting because our approach isn't, you know, I think Christians have been way too good at telling everybody what they're doing wrong and that's not getting anybody anywhere. So our po- approach is to love and to serve, right? So she, she says, this is our passion. We want to help serve what you guys are doing. And um, basically this lawmaker says, you're so interesting. Can I have lunch with you? And through that connection, she was offered a job to be a news anchor on the government-run TV station. Random, right? I want you to see how this happens, though, right? So she was a good steward there, and she got, had the opportunity to, to do her own show and um, run her own show. And in that, um, she was interviewing people, and it was so powerful. And um, basically, her show had the highest ratings of all the other shows, and so her boss, who wanted to, to fire her, couldn't fire her because she had such great ratings. And, um, and so from there, she interviewed this man who had lost his legs and was an Olympian, Olympian champion. And she, um, after the interview, he came to her and he said, um, what you don't know about me is I'm actually the personal trainer of the president. And I showed the president the interview you did of me. 22-year-old girl, right? I showed the president the interview you did of me, and he said, I've never seen a journalist be able to pull light out of somebody like this girl did. I want her to interview me. So literally, step by step by step. See, these things don't happen until you start just raw out every Thursday night on the streets loving people, right? Like, and then you get the next step, and then you get the next step. And step by step, literally, I, I could just sit here and tell you story after story of the craziness of what's happening. But from that day, with so much favor with the government that we were given actually the, the National Assembly um, to hold a whole 
uh, Real Men Don't Buy Women national campaign. They put it on national television. We got to literally preach to the whole country on national television, calling the nation to end modern-day slavery. I mean, what? What? The, the government were so intrigued that it started a national conversation. They actually sent us their top policymakers and said, will you guys help us write the legislation in this country? You know, we had 24 hours to get our ish together to do that. It was like, Jesus, come, I hope we can hear you, you know, (laughs) crazy. But I tell you that story because it's honestly that simple. I think sometimes we think, well, many times, especially as Americans, we think, oh, we need the government to fix. No, you don't, you have the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, right? We need connections. We need money. No, you have everything you need. You know, everything we just talked about in this past session, living out of that place. And I'm so passionate for the body of Christ to to really grab a hold of this because it's working. In every country where we go to and we we see the kingdom of God advancing. You know, a couple years, we were just actually talking about this at lunch. It just sparked a memory. A couple years ago, we were in, in North Korea. And I literally was sitting there going, I feel so much heaven in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That was that was to me like so encouraging to uh, to hear that story. And I I'm absolutely positively convinced that we don't have to go to Ecuador to see that happen. <laughs> but it started with loving people. It started with praying and asking God for strategies, and then kind of following the Reese's Pieces or the, or the breadcrumbs, right? And uh, a 22-year-old woman who, um, who God highlighted and who ran with it. Wow. So do it again. Do it again. And could you get the sense that the, um, the, the powers and principalities were being disarmed in the process. This was a whole country that didn't have any laws against uh, sex and human trafficking. Changed because of favor, because of God's favor, because of um, Holy Spirit working. And Jesus being king. So, I hope you feel more prepared to dive in, even tonight, even tonight. So, let me pray for you, and then I'm actually going to have uh, the, um, the ministry teams come forward. And, in fact, you can start coming up right now if you'd like. And um, I've asked the, the ministry team two things. One, uh, if they have any, get any words of knowledge from Holy Spirit... That would be fun, huh? Uh, and another thing is I've asked them to be available to pray for those who want more of, more of the Holy Spirit to be filled or be baptized. Um, and let me tell you a little bit about that. Uh, doesn't, uh, for many of us, we didn't, autom- we didn't just in one try um, get filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I was one of those people that lived out of my head back in the day. Well, I 
still kind of do, but much less so. Um, and renewal came, uh, the Toronto blessing, uh, they were doing this in, in the, at the San Francisco Vineyard almost every night. And I'd go there, and, I'd, and the Holy Spirit was touching people, and I'd stand in line, and, and then I'd just kind of lie down hoping maybe the Holy Spirit would touch me. Um, I didn't have to, but I just, just didn't want to have any resistance. And I'd go night after night, hungry, asking God to touch me. And it, was, it wasn't for a while before I started to really experience more of the Holy Spirit. So I just don't want you to be discouraged if it's like a one-time deal. And you may not, it may not be fully this time, but every time you come up, every time you receive prayer, John G. Lake wanted more of the Holy Spirit, and he got lots of prayer too until um, this pastor's wife prayed for him. And it was baptized in the Holy Spirit. So don't be discouraged. Keep, I guess I'm saying keep, keep going and, uh, and, don't, and, and know that the Holy Spirit wants to touch you deeply. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for, uh, for how Jesus taught about you and how excited he was that when he went back to be with the Father for, for a season that you are going to come. You are the gift gift from the Father and from Jesus for each of us. And, the, and you are the one who helps us cry out, Abba, Daddy, to undo the orphan spirit <coughs> and be our spirit of adoption in each of us. Yeah. And we look forward to this coming season of going through the book of Acts, but also wanting to be part of the greater book of Acts, wherever you send us, wherever we are working, wherever we are doing. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, Lord. Being your ecclesia, Jesus. So let me turn this over to uh, who's leading this, organizing these lovely group of people up here. I see Matthew coming. Matthew, you're... You're a double duty guy today. I love and bless you all. And it continues.